Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Does he really? When you stand in front of Children's Hospital and realize that right behind you inside those walls are hundreds of kids who are hurting deeply, some even dying, you can't really run away from that question of God's love. Does he really love all of the children of the world? Doesn't the Bible say, doesn't God say in the Bible that he's our father? In fact, the Bible presents God and reveals that God is indeed the Father, a Father who guides and protects and gives generously to His children because He loves them so deeply, a Father who even gives them eternal security and eternal life. And yet, here those kids are, suffering, the kids that God loves. And God has the power. God has the power to take away that pain and suffering, every bit of pain and suffering that's going on behind us right now. Every bit of that pain and suffering, God has the power to take away just like that. But He doesn't, always. Why not? Two weeks uh, before Chloe's second birthday, 
we took her to, all of us actually went over to Kaiser to get our flu shots. Um, it was a Friday afternoon, and we went in there, and Chloe had had a rash on her back. On the back of her legs. On the back of her legs for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And so we asked the, um, the technician if we should see the doctor, or, um, if he should look at this before we got our, uh, our flu shots. And she said, yeah. So she brought the uh, nurse in, and then the nurse saw her, and then the nurse brought the doctor in, and then they took some blood, and um, we didn't think anything of it. At least I didn't. It looked kind of like she was fighting a viral illness. I mean, I, my mind was kind of going crazy, like maybe she has the West Nile virus. So um, I would have otherwise not ever pulled anyone aside for just a couple little dots on the back of her legs. And we ended up waiting in the exam room for over an hour. John actually went and got McDonald's um, because we were waiting there for so long, and kids were eating their Happy Meals, and we're like, what is going on? I mean, why, why do they need blood work yeah. done? It was a little weird because the doctor kept pacing, our, our pediatrician kept pacing back and forth and saying, have yeah. you guys heard anything yet? You know, she was trying yeah. to be all yeah. like, there's nothing wrong, but have you heard anything yet? And so yeah. <clears throat> finally I had to come over to work over here, and so I was going to take some of the kids with me, so I took off. And I... When, they, when the doctor came in to tell me uh, John had just left the room, and she said, where did your husband go? And I said, well, he just left. And she said, do you think I can catch him? And I said, yeah, he might be still in the parking lot. And she bolted out the door, and, um, and then the other doctor came in and, um, and said she had some bad news for us. And um, when she said it was leukemia, I just, everything just kind of went numb. I was not prepared for that at all. When the doctor caught me at the car it was just like in the movies where everything gets yeah. like suddenly it looks like your your feet are a mile away from your head and it was just my head was spinning and everything was just blurry and I remember following her back into the room and mm-hmm. you know Julie was in there and you'd been in there for a few minutes talking with the other doctor and I it was just it was like in the beginning of a terrible yeah. nightmare like for me. Soap opera. <laughs> I think in the hospital um, that first week it was like you said, it was it was kind of like a nightmare or a dream where just, you know, things were foggy and hazy and um, people were coming in and out of our room and, um, you know, they immediately put a, 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 a Metaport in her, um, I'm actually wearing it right here, um, it's just this, you know, they implanted it under her chest um, muscle and um, I was, I didn't even, I hadn't slept for a couple of days, I think they did the second day and um, I had some migraine medicine that kind of knocks me out. So I took some of it. You may not want to put this in the video, <laughs> but I just couldn't cope. And they were going to take her off the surgery and they were going to implant this thing in her, you know, her heart to, to lead into her heart. And it was like this major surgery. And, um, and I just, I didn't even want to be there for that. I, I was so freaked out by that. I, I was afraid she wasn't going to come back from the surgery. And so um, they, they brought her back in and woke me up and, um, and put her, you know, in my arms and said she did great and, you know, she, and, then they, and then they accessed her there um, for the next two years every week. Um, and it just became a routine thing after a while, but at first it was just so scary to have this, this device in place in her. And, mm-hmm. ugh, just, I don't know. No, I just, I think about that week and it just, sometimes I just, I can't really go there mm-hmm. all the way. It was kind of hard. It was a really hard week. It was a hard two years, but that yeah. initial week was just... First week was horrible. Yeah, it was really hard to get in my mind that she had cancer and that there was a chance of us mm-hmm. losing her. Yeah.
A Bible expert once asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the most important? Another Bible expert once asked him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And on both occasions, Jesus answers by quoting Shema, found in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then Jesus adds from Leviticus 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. Before we can love God and love others like that, we need to hear We need to know. We need to trust completely in one foundational absolute truth. We need to know that God loves us. If we don't, if we don't believe that God loves us, God's command to love Him and love others rings hollow, even hypocritical. For how can we be commanded to love God with all of every part of us? How can we be expected to love others as ourselves if we don't believe God does? We need to know that God loves us. This morning we're looking at an impossible question. It's one that often prevents me, maybe you too, from trusting completely, unwaveringly, that God indeed loves us. And the question is this, why? Why does an all-powerful God allow such devastating pain in the lives of the people He loves? If there's a harder question, I don't know what it might be. And the weight of that question is perhaps never heavier when the pain comes to rest on children. And when we experience pain, when we get bad news like John and Julie Burns did. Our cry goes out, Where are you, God? Where are you? When the doctor um, first told me, she the first thing she said was, I have some bad news. Your child has leukemia. And um, and in a matter of maybe five seconds, there were several thoughts that went through my head. Um, I didn't tell anyone for a long time, but um, it was actually just this really strange sense of joy and peace that just overwhelmed me. And I just immediately knew that God had her days numbered. I mean, I, I knew that he had a plan and he was immediately in control. And 
I, I don't know where that came from, but I, that really sustained me that first week, um, just thinking this is, this is going to be okay. And joy definitely wasn't the first reaction of, for me. It was, uh, which is, you know, she's, Julie's amazing, but for me it was just, dev- just complete devastation. I just, you know, was stressing about every possible scenario <clears throat> that crossed my mind from, you know, contracting AIDS through blood transfusions to, you know, a recurrence of the cancer after she had been healed and uh, to, you know, all sorts of crazy things. And she had, this was the first day that it had happened. And I thought, if I, if I keep this up, I'm going to lose my mind, you know, with worry. I'm going to be, I mean, it would just, it'd kill me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did get, God did speak to me when we were in the hospital um, through a book that Ryan Long had given me, Screw Tape Letters, um, by C.S. Lewis, and uh, and it, you know the um, two characters are talking back and forth and saying, you know, we need to get them preoccupied with every scenario so that they worry and worry and worry and worry, not knowing that they can't all happen. And it was like it just described me to a T, where I was, and um, you know that was a that was comforting mm-hmm. to to get that. At one point during that, that week, I, I had a kind of a, a strange dream or a vision or it wasn't anything, you know, very realistic, but it was kind of like this, this mental picture in my head of um, it, while I was dozing off on the cot. Um, I, I had this dream that there was like this cross, a huge wooden cross, and, it, and the beams were just really thick, and it was probably about 30 feet high, and, um, and I was looking up at it, and it fell on top of me and literally just squashed me, you know, and I was trying to get up out from underneath this cross. And one at a time, these these almost faceless people in white, um, kind of glowing white, probably angels, I don't know, came over to the cross and started to pick it up one by one and started trying to, you know, I couldn't budge it. And after a while, there was more than 100 of them around this cross, and they lifted it and hoisted it above my head. And... And then one of them reached down and grabbed my hand and, and stood me up and said, okay, you can walk now. And um, I woke up and I just thought, what was that? I mean, that was crazy. And I, the way I interpreted it was that each one of those people were people praying for me. There's another angel that God has sent to minister to me. And because of those prayers, I was able to stand up and go forward and, and do what I needed to do. I wasn't completely destroyed by this. And so, I, again, that was just such an amazing reassurance during that first week. And, you know, I just, those, those kind of things don't happen very often, but I, I just really cling to them because, you know, anytime you get a glimpse of God, um, I just, I cling to that. And, I, and I, that'll, you know, last me a year or two. Mm-hmm. I, I guess for me, um, I remember praying a lot, but I didn't really know if, um, if it was going to make a difference or not. And I didn't really know what, you know, what God's, how he played into this whole thing. If he, is he the one that had given her the cancer? And so now I need to pray to him to take it away. And, you know, so I would pray and pray for fear that if I didn't pray the right prayer or pray it enough that, you know, she might get cancer again or wouldn't get healed. And if you have that view of God, I mean, you're angry then, you know. If yeah. you're thinking God's up there crossing his arms and going, if you don't do this right, you know, 
I could just take right. it like that, you know. And it made me sad thinking that if I didn't do it, it would affect someone else, Chloe, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was like up to me to say the right prayers and do the right thing. Otherwise, he mm -hmm. might, you know, yeah. he might Take let her die, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I would pray that he'd take her cancer away. And at the same time, you know, I know he, he had to know, you know, the desires of my heart. And, you know, then I would think, well, why wouldn't he, you know, why would he, you know, punish Chloe for me not, I don't know, you know? Yeah, just it's, try to wrap your mind it's, it's really messed up, I know, but it was uh, where I was at and kind of still are, am sometimes. Anytime I got time to myself, I would just start bawling mm -hmm. and crying just because I had to hold it all together. I was the mom, I was the caretaker, you know. And so anytime I get a little downtime in my day, which is usually dry, <laughs> I would just start crying and go. And sometimes I'd even be screaming, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? You know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of times when I felt completely abandoned and like, where are you in the midst of this craziness? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that I never really a hundred percent doubted he wasn't there, but there were definitely times when, um, I just was like, just come into the situation and fix it you yeah. know it's so far beyond what i can handle um but I, once i you know once i cried and and begged god i again was just reminded that he has been there mm -hmm. and and that and that would pass and i would find some comfort Julie sure had an extraordinary dream, didn't she? Her dream reminds me that when Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and follow him, he doesn't ask us to drag that big heavy thing along ourselves. He carries it with us and even for us when it gets just too heavy. Like many of us, John and Julie are both wrestling with pain in their lives. We find God in prayer, and yet we still wrestle. We find Him in books, and we still wrestle. We find Him in the Bible, and we still wrestle. We find Him in ways just there that we can't even explain we even find Him in our dreams. And yet, we still wrestle with our God who loves us and yet allows impossible situations. We also find God in and through the loving words and actions of others. But even then, we still wrestle I remember like you know well-meaning people coming up at church and you know saying you know I've, God's going to use this you know greatly in your life or in Chloe's life and you know that he's got a purpose for this and I'm thinking you know stick it in your ear I don't want to hear this you know I mean mm -hmm. seriously if God has got to give 
yeah. Chloe cancer in order to have a good purpose or to mm-hmm. spur me on towards to make me open my Bible every day or to make me, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I don't, that's not yeah. a loving thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or he works it all, you know, together for good or, and mm-hmm. I just, you know, for me, I thought we are in a fallen world and this is what it is. Don't tell me that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be an inspiration to somebody. I'm, I don't know. That sounds terrible, but no, it's not very comforting. It's not, I don't want to. I don't want to be an inspiration. I want Chloe to be healthy. I want her to be well. I don't want God to make my child sick so that he can somehow teach a lesson to mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. You got issues. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing I wanted people to say was, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I yeah. don't want to hear, I want to hear some way people to spin it. I don't want it. someone mm-hmm. to pull their Bible open and say, count it all joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I didn't want that because yeah. it's not helpful. No. Do you think? No. Mm-mm. So no. the best thing for think... me was just, I'm so sorry your child's sick. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, when you're a Christian, you don't just like, you know, happy away all the things that are, are going on. You don't just, you know, wishful thinking kind of thing. But we, you carry each other's burdens. And so the best thing that happened with me is when someone would come over and just say, oh, I cannot even imagine what you're going through. This must be hell. And I'd be like, yeah, it's hell. And, you know, what can I do for you? And, and just that practicality of mm-hmm. how can I help you, you know, as, as a brother or sister, you know, instead of just saying, you know, little trite godly things. Yeah. So... Just, you know, the practicality. Jesus himself was practical. I mean, like he, you know, if he saw a need, he would meet it before he started t- preaching, mm-hmm. you know. And that's, that was the most um, helpful thing, I think, for us was when people actually did something. There was a lot of people that said they were going to do something. And when mm-hmm. they didn't, I would get even more angry. And, um, but it was the people that were faithfully, you know, helping and so if you're going to say you're going to do something, you know, and you follow through, that's the love of Christ. Yeah. You know, um, saying godly inspirational thoughts and, you know, things didn't really help. Um, but, you, I mean, you know, I know a lot of people were praying. And, and, and it was the people that took time to, to listen. That yeah. Really and and me. having them say that they're praying yeah. for us was nice, too. I, I'm always jaded because I'm like... That's just such an easy answer, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll be praying for you, brother. Yeah. You know, I'll be praying that Chloe's better. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, and they Julie up. hasn't been to church in, mm-hmm. you know, three months. Maybe you could come over and watch the kids on yeah. Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or not, I, you know, I mean, it sounds like I'm totally unappreciative of whatever. But, yeah. you know, but just put like. put some feet on those words, you yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, just the one or two people that were truly um, helping us by serving us. I mean, it was. It made all the difference in the world, yeah. and that was very encouraging, just knowing that, you know, that was, it was like God himself sent somebody to us to help us out. The book of James gives us a thinking verb in the face of pain. James says to consider joy when we face trials. Some translations add in it, consider it joy. In, in my study of that passage, I side with those who don't believe that it should be there. It is not necessarily in the original Greek manuscripts. 
But with or without the it, God doesn't tell us we need to be joyful because our child gets cancer for heaven's sake. Instead, God tells us that we should consider, think about, dwell on, put our mind on joy when we face trials. Remembering joyful experiences in joyless situations helps to clear a space in us where we can trust God. Second, Paul in Romans 8 tells us that God works for good in all things, not using all things. Big difference. God does not use evil for good. God does not use cancer for good. Rather, God is there with us in the midst of evil things like cancer. He's in there with us working for our good despite the evil, not using it. Third, don't fall for the lie that your lack of faith necessarily causes or keeps you in pain. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it if someone tells you, you know what, your pain will necessarily end if you just have enough faith or if you just pray the right prayer. The Bible is full of faith and prayer giants who nevertheless experienced pain that God, for whatever reason, did not take away. Finally, some advice on how to help others in their pain. Julie mentioned Galatians 6. Carry each other's burdens. Don't become weary in doing good. As we have opportunity, Paul says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And remember what Jesus shouted during one Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, when we believe in Jesus who is the living water, streams of living water will flow from us, Jesus says. We are to be a source of living water to those who are hurting. In the end... This pain question takes faith. It takes trust that God is indeed love and that He loves us. Trust even when we don't understand completely or even at all the painful things in our lives. Proverbs 3 verse 5 gives great advice. Trust in the Lord, God says, with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. I, you know, I struggle with at the time, but even now, you know, how much God's hand was in it, in that whole situation, you know? I mean, was it just, was it just dumb luck that we happen to be born in, or she happened to be born in 2001 and so she's in this time of, of history where 
medicine is so far advanced that, you know, and that's not to discount. I mean, God's given the doctors wisdom, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, it was just hard for me to say, pinpoint God healed Chloe. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if he did or not, you know, mm-hmm. or if he just. Yeah. Well, even if he would have taken her, though, I, I truly feel that, you know, he would give us peace and strength to get through it. I mean, it's like we're not guaranteed that we're going to be exempt from pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And so we did go through pain and suffering for 26 months and beyond. I mean, um, but and if we would have lost her, we would have still been grieving, you know, for her. And it's I think that really that it, it's not necessarily the situation. It's just what God does in your life to, you know, help you through those times. Well, and that's kind of, I guess, where I finally got to with prayer is that I, I mean, I, I, I knew God knew that I wanted her to be healed, but I almost, I didn't quit praying that because I, <laughs> I didn't want to jinx it again, kind of back to the, but I ended up just praying, give us strength to bear up underneath this because mm-hmm. then I, I felt like that's a legitimate prayer. Mm-hmm. Please pray, please heal Chloe. Mm-hmm. It was, for me, it wasn't because then I was directing him his will you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying yeah Mm -hmm. you know there's going to be losses there's no guarantees Mm -hmm. but we don't live for this life i mean it's this isn't this isn't it Mm -hmm. if this is it that sucks you know i mean we this is just a blip on the radar in all of eternity and if if pain and suffering last this long we can endure the rest of it you know I just, I don't know, I just always hoped and put my trust in God. I think the thing that I got out of this was that God is faithful. And sometimes it feels like he's let go of her hand and removed himself, um, but he's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked Chloe right before we came here, um, I just, she didn't know where we were going. And I said, hey, Chloe, what do you think God thinks of you? And she said, well, God loves me. And I said, well, how do you know that? And she said, well, I'm his child, we're all his children. And I said, well, what do you think of when you get sick? I mean, do you think God, you know, is sad? She goes, well, yeah, he's sad because I'm sick. And she said, when I had cancer, um, he took care of me, you know, and I just, it was so simple. And I'm like, yeah, he did. Okay. You know, and it's just interesting because, I mean, that's the childlike faith, you know, Mm -hmm. she's not blaming God. She's saying God took care of me. He was right there. And now I'm fine. I, I, you know, through the, through her getting cancer I guess one thing you know I always used to and I still do have a little trouble of expressing my doubts to God you know I felt like if I if I expressed my doubt or my anger that he would punish me for that you know and so I got to you know at least with this I would verbalize you know Mm -hmm. I was so frustrated and angry and doubtful and you know I I, I, I felt like I knew God's personality and who he was, but at the same time, it just didn't jive with why, why would he allow this to happen to Chloe, you know? I mean, there's just no good reason for it mm-hmm. to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, at first I was, you know, I'm fighting myself not to think these things and say these things, mm-hmm. you know, but he knows what I'm thinking. Yeah. He knows I'm, hide. that I, I'm doubting and I'm angry with him. And, and he's, you know, he, he's already, he's met me there. He knows what I'm going to say. There's nothing mm-hmm. I can say or any question I can ask where he's going to be like, oh gosh, I, I didn't think about that one. You know, he's got me with yeah, this Yeah, or one. he's going to get offended by you yelling yeah. at him. And so I never got to the point where I was, you know, like Job wanting to curse God and die. 
or his wife told him to do that or whatever. But <laughs> you were telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was awfully close. I was just, I just, and I still, even being on this side of it, mm-hmm. I cannot look at this and say with a straight face that, yes, good came out of this. I can't. I can't. I can't. I cannot imagine good coming out of this. I mean, I feel like God's brought me. I feel like I'm closer to God now than I was. So I guess that's good. But at the same time, I can't. I don't think that it was worth it. Nothing good that came out of it to me was worth her getting cancer. And she's fine now, you know, mm-hmm. but I still I can't get to that point where I can thank God that Chloe had cancer. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of good that came out of this. <laughs> but is it is it worth what we went through? Is it worth that she I don't know? I think it's not even for me. It's not a matter. It's not even a question of was it worth it? I mean, part of living is dealing with, again, the consequences of our lifestyles mm-hmm. and and just this world the way it is. And there's some things that are preventable and there's other things that aren't. I mean, if we suffer consequences for what we've done wrong, then that's just um, if we suffer consequences because of this fallen world, I mean, if a tornado or something comes and knocks your house down, I mean, that's not something that God's going to just prevent because that's nature. That's the way things happen. What about Chloe then? Chloe, it's, again, it could have been just a, you know, it's a random thing. Well, I know. So why didn't he just not allow that? <laughs> because her little cells were mutating. And well, so <laughs> then he, he's more hands off. Is that what you're thinking? I so think, why do you, why does he pick and choose to do something sometimes and not other times? I think that he knows that we could have handled it. And so he saw it coming. He obviously saw it coming. He prepared me for it. He knew that it was going to happen, and he just provided every step of the way. I mean, it is absolutely miraculous how she got diagnosed. For one thing, you were there for a doctor's appointment, and we just decided to meet at this flu shot clinic mm-hmm. and what doctor comes out into the emer- into the waiting room to look at a little kid and what doctor would have had a child that had the exact same diagnosis you know four or five years before and would have just had that gut feeling and what doctor would have immediately said she has leukemia they don't do that they wait you they make you take tests and stuff like that so if like, he but he since he weaved so, all those things in why couldn't he wouldn't it have just been easier just to initially keep her from having yeah but i mean then what you know then i mean that that's life i mean we're not living in this on this planet you know I think he saw, he knew it was going to happen, and he prepared every single step of the way so that we could walk right through it. You just have a stronger, uh, not a stronger faith. Well, yeah, you do. You you have a stronger confidence in who God is than I do right now. Yeah. I mean, you truly believe that he is good. I think the reason why I believe he's good is because... I have had probably much harder, um, in my opinion, in my experiences, I have had harder trials in leukemia growing up and, and just different issues. And there were, there was probably three years when I spent every single day in my room crying out to God and praying for him to take me out of the hell I was in. And he did. And he was faithful and he gave me a life that was so much better than I could have ever imagined. And so... And then he allowed me, you know, a whole decade to enjoy that before he even gave me another trial. 
I mean, it was just, you know, he proved himself that he he did love me and, and he was faithful and that, you know, if I just put my hope in him, he will be faithful, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I think that every trial makes us stronger. It just makes the roots go down deeper so that we're able to stand when the next one comes. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe this one will do that for me. Maybe. It already has, John. It already has. And, um, and John, you and I have one thing in common, my friend. We married very, very well. <laughs> Hang on to Julie, will you? She's a keeper. We're tackling um, a, a hard question this morning one that has kept theologians very busy for thousands of years, and I suspect for as many years as there are left before Jesus comes again. Why does an all-powerful God allow such devastating pain in the lives of the people He deeply loves? This is a question that really has no completely satisfactory answer. It's, it's an impossible question. And oh, there have been many attempts to answer the question, we live in a fallen world and so there will be hard and frustrating and painful experiences. Hard things, challenging things, strengthen us and prepare us for witness ultimately, our witness that we endure and even thrive in painful circumstances solely because of God and who He is. And when our pain is similar to others' pain, we can speak and comfort from experience, and more genuinely empathize. Whether pain in our own lives or in the lives of others, pain presents an opportunity to help others and to show them the love of Christ by being living water in their dry and thirsty world. Pain also encourages us to live with an eternal perspective. Difficulties help keep us from falling in love with temporary things rather than with our eternal God. Pain keeps us hungry and hopeful and reminds us that we are not yet fully home. It reminds us of our mission to bring the kingdom of God to a world, to people in chaos. And many have noted that that pain is necessary if there really truly is a free will choice for or against God. And still others have noted that pain is often a needed reminder that we can't do life on our own. We can't do this this gardening thing that Adam and Eve thought we might do alone. And so pain pushes us toward the God we desperately need. And yet, while each of those things are true, and very helpful, none of these answers or more like them fully explain or satisfy why Chloe Burns was sick with leukemia for two years, why so many helpless, innocent kids and their families must go through such hell, why people who an all-powerful God loves nevertheless suffer deeply. 
The answers I've mentioned may be helpful, but in the end, do they still ring hollow? Is it still an impossible question? So we have an impossible question with hollow-sounding answers. What now? In short, ask God. If there is one thing that the heroes of the faith we read about in the Bible do when faced with impossible questions, they ask God. Because you know what? God loves an honest question. Even ones that question Him. Abraham stands on a high place speaking with the Creator. And Abraham is worried. God said He intends to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. But Abraham's nephew Lot and his family live down below. And for all Abraham knows, there are others in the cities who are innocent of those crimes. And so what does Abraham do? He takes a deep breath and he questions the Creator. Listen to the nerve of the man. Far be it from you to do such a thing. He says to God, to kill the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do right? Whoa, Abraham. That kind of makes you want to duck. Not only does Abraham ask God a question, he questions God's very motives. He questions whether God even knows what he's doing. He suggests that God is about to do something wrong. And how does God respond? He punishes Abraham, smites him for asking such a question, curses him and withdraws from him, right? Not even close. God responds by making Abraham an offer. If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Wow! And so Abraham keeps asking, what about 45? Or 30? How about 10? And each time, God responds in love. God loves an honest question, even one that questions Him. And so too with Moses and Hezekiah and Job and Jeremiah, to name a few. And then there's someone who name, whose name is Jesus, who asks God the toughest question any man, any woman has ever asked. Jesus has been nailed to a cross. He doesn't deserve it. His life is slipping away in pain and extreme agony. He is slowly suffocating to death. And the perfect, sinless, righteous, faithful man shouts Psalm 22 verse 1 to his Father in heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
asking God honest questions is not doubting. It's trusting. One author puts it this way. It takes more faith to ask than it takes to fear the asking. It takes faith to be ready for whatever answer comes and faith to persevere with more questions if the answer is not understood. Asking an honest question means being ready to change in response to the answer. And short of martyrdom, change may be the ultimate act of faith. I somehow got the idea, this author continues, that only a prideful person would dare to question the Lord. But I have learned that sometimes asking questions is a way to demonstrate humility. Because inherent in the question is the assumption that I do not have the answer, God does. Since questions give God respect, they acknowledge His power, they honor Him. My friends, we follow a God who weeps and sobs along with us when we or those we love experience pain. And that God welcomes honest, hard questions. Keep asking your questions, John. Julie, you too are blessed to have a husband who expresses his faith in this way. He's a keeper too. Keep wrestling, you too. When you do, you draw closer and closer to God, and you draw us closer to Him too. You encourage us. You have certainly encouraged me this week that like Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Hezekiah and Job and Jeremiah and Jesus, you dare to honor God by asking Him the honest, hard questions rather than settling for formula answers. We need to ask God the impossible questions. Why on earth, God, did Chloe Burns have to suffer with leukemia for two years? You're so big, you're so strong, she's so small. Whatever you're doing through her, why can't you find it another way to do it? Why don't you just take it away? I don't understand. God, what were you thinking when Columbine was happening? What were you thinking? Cassie, all those kids... Those two shooters absolutely lost in confusion and chaos. Why did you let them get so lost in the dark? Do you have hard questions? Ask them to God. 
He will hear you. He promises. And he will draw you closer if you let him. But first you need the guts, the chutzpah, the faith to ask. And P.S. One day God will take all the pain away. He promises, so when you're hurting, hang in there. Keep asking Him. God has kept every promise so far, and He will keep this one too. We've spoken just a bit about the cross this morning. We will even more in the weeks to come. The cross is absolutely foundational in answering our impossible question this morning about pain. In short, the cross assures us that despite our pain, God does indeed love us. Whatever the ultimate explanation of all the pain, it is not because God isn't sovereign or doesn't care. The baseline, absolute truth, is that God deeply loves us. Would you stand please for God's benediction, His blessing, His good words. Would you repeat them after me, first in Hebrew and then in English. Are you ready? You can get out your cards if you have them. We'll order more for next week. I tried to get more for this week. We're out. But we'll get the Shema again for you on the cards next week, Lord willing. Please say these words after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha. Uvahol nafshecha. Uvahol meodecha. Uveahavta. Reacha kamocha. Amen. Hero Israel. Hero West Bowles Community Church. Love the Lord your God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So far in this series, we've seen that God loves us in the beginning. God loves us in the pain. Next week, we'll see that God loves us as we are. I hope you'll come. I know I'm planning on it. So please, you're welcome to come, especially next week, as you are. Go in peace. God bless you all. Amen.